welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me over now to Psalm 139. I think I say it every week, but again, this is one of my favorites. Psalm 139, as we continue on in our Summer in the Psalms series, we have uh, this week and then next week is our final Summer in the Psalms uh, sermon. And then starting on August 14th, I'm going to be doing a study about living out our faith where we are. And I'm going to be using the Gospel of John, going through the Gospel of John to really dive into how Jesus comes to do ministry you know, with these individuals, these disciples and these villages and these people in it, and wants them to live out their faith in God and their trust in God, the place that they are and the jobs that they are and the neighborhoods that they they have been placed in. And so we're going to look at what does it look like for us to live out our faith where we are, and we're going to go through the Gospel of John. And so that'll be in two weeks, but we have today and then next week finishing up our summer in the Psalms. So Psalm 139, it says this. Listen to these words. They're amazing. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, and you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me and too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night will shine like the day and the darkness as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know it full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And then the last two verses of Psalm 139 says this, So search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139 is a prayer of devotion. David seeks to truly know the God who knows him, and he prays for God to examine his heart. He opens this psalm with the words, Lord, you've searched me and you know me. And he ends the psalm with the words, so search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
And this is, gets right to the heart of it. It says, you know, it basically, who knows us better than God? I mean, he made you. He has seen you and been beside you every day of your life. Just think about that. Every hour he was there at your birth and has watched you grow up. He has seen the times when you have done wrong, even when your parents didn't. He has seen you when you chose to do right. He has been with you in faraway places, and he has also been so close to you in that still small voice in your mind when you were all alone. He has been with you in the dark and in the light, even in the womb. He knew you before you were formed. He saw your unformed body before he began to make it. No one knows you and loves you as much as him. That is the fact. On the plane trip home from vacation here on Tuesday, I was put next to an elderly woman who I believe had Alzheimer's and dementia. She didn't remember where she was or where the plane was going. She looked terrified. She was given a can of pop and a, and a glass from the, of ice from the flight attendant. But she put the can in her purse for some reason, then immediately looked at the glass of ice and didn't know what to do with it or where it came from, wondered why she hadn't received a drink yet and forgotten that she had just put it into her purse. And so... Soon then she started to put the glass with ice into her purse as well. She took off her shoes for some reason and kept trying to push them down into her chair. She kept fidgeting around, anxious uh, to get somewhere. She thought she was on the second floor of some building at one point. And I tried to help her and talk her to, to her to, her, to calm her down or something. But she was confused and afraid and it was difficult. At one point in the flight, she got pretty agitated and determined she was going to get up and leave. She didn't understand. We opened the window so that the blind there on the window so that she could see we're still flying, but it just made her more anxious. So we called for the flight attendant. The flight attendant came over and asked the woman what she needed. And the woman said, her husband. She said he was somewhere and she needed him right away. She told the flight attendant his name. The flight attendant said, okay, I'll go and try to find him. And then she went back to look him up. And I, sitting there, honestly, didn't think there would be a husband on board. I wondered if she had even been confused about that. But after a while, the flight attendant returned to our seat and with her, a sweet older man. When this woman looked up and saw him standing there, Something immediately happened inside of her, and I could, be, I could just see it in her eyes. All her fear and confusion was gone, and a peace came over her. He was there. She knew him, and he knew her, and that's all she needed. She was suddenly at rest. He spoke tenderly with her, reminding her of where they were going. He said, remember, we're going to our daughter's house in North Carolina, and we'll be there shortly. He calmed her down with his gentleness and words of assurance and voice that I'm sure she'd heard every day for the past 60, 70 years. He told her that he was just a few rows back. I asked if they wanted to sit together, and he said that would be great. He then took my seat next to her, and she sat down now next to him. It's a beautiful thing to know and be known.
that is what this psalm is all about. That we all can get lost sometimes, but God is never lost. And we all can forget who we are at times, but God knows who we are. We all can forget what life is really all about and what we're here for and where we're going and what really matters. But God knows what life is all about and where we're going and what we need to do. He made us and, and there has never been a day that he has not been right there beside us, even watching over us from a few rows back when we didn't realize it. And when we come to truly believe in God and know him better, our soul will find rest just like that woman found rest at seeing his face. Because we realize we're not alone anymore. And, and we've never been alone. And we're not lost because he's with us. And there's a peace about that. David writes here about that. He also writes here about how nothing is hidden from God. His whole life, God can see it. He mentions ordinary things of his day, like when he got up in the morning and when he goes to bed, when he sits and when he rises, how God is familiar with all of his ways. Even the thoughts he has in his head, God knows them before they become words out of his mouth. You know, I think about how sometimes we may try to hide from God and from other people the real us, you know, even times we we think what we're doing, we're doing it in secret. It's not in secret. <laughs> God sees what happens in secret as well as in public. You know, the Bible starts with a story like this. It starts with Adam and Eve and how God created them. And for a time, they enjoyed great fellowship with God until they sinned. And then in their sin, we read that it wasn't God who pulled away from them. No, they pulled away from God and they began to hide from God. They knew that they had done something wrong. And so that when they heard God coming and heard his voice calling for them, it says that Adam and Eve hid. It was sin mixed with shame and guilt and fear of being found out that caused them to hide and run from God. But even when they tried to hide... God knew where they were all the time. You know, it's just kind of like when, when our kids are little and we play hide and seek with them and they, they hide, you know, under the covers of their bed and we walk into the room and it's just obvious. You could see, they're right there, you know, but, but, and we could totally see them, but they can't see us and so they think that they're hidden in some way. Well, this is how it is with God. We can't hide from God. He sees us and he knows us. Every sin, every thought, everything, we may close our eyes to him him and turn away but he's ever watching over us there's a comfort in that as well as maybe a little fear i think of the story of judas and peter at the last supper jesus tells both of them i know what you're going to do before the night is over he tells Jesus, Judas, I know you're going to betray me for money. And he tells Peter, I know you're going to disown me three times before the rooster crows. I mean, the Lord was God. He knew. He knew them so well. Nothing was hidden from them. Not even their future. It's like David says here, before a word is on my tongue, you already know it. Before I do whatever, you already know what I'm going to do. And you're already praying for me to return to you. God knows the real and complete you. 
I mean, he knew all the disciples would desert him before the cross. Even when Peter said, no way, I promise you I'll never do it. Peter didn't know, but Jesus knew. The Lord knows us better than we know us. Which is a little scary. Because God doesn't just know the person you want to be or present yourself to be. But God knows the person you really are when everything is stripped away. We all try to cover up our blemishes, our rough parts. We all try to portray the best side of us, and that's okay. But God knows the ugly parts of us too. He knows both. He knows the really good thing you did for your neighbor and the sacrifices you make for your family that no one sees or appreciates. He knows that too. Oh, and he loves it. He knows the desires of our heart, the good ones, as well as the bad ones. He knows and sees our attitudes and our thoughts. And we may be able to hide those from some people for a time, but we cannot hide them from God. He knows. He knows you. But the good news of Jesus Christ, of course, is, is this great grace and mercy that has come to us, that we don't need to hide any part of us. Not only does God already know it, but in our sin, he sent to us a son that while we were still sinners, he died for us. In other words, God knew everything about you, what you have done or what you will do, and yet he still chose to die for you, to save you upon that cross. He chose mercy, he chose love, and his desire for you is not to hide all your imperfections from him or to run from him. You can't, but, but to be be honest before him with your sin and to repent and to ask for his forgiveness and find new life in his name because no one knows you like he does. He made you. David even says here in this psalm that God saw his unformed body, which means you were a thought in his head before you were actual physical thing. Think about that. He knit him together, he says, in his mother's womb. And he's faithfully and fearfully and wonderfully made. You were, you were made by the hand of God. And God's works are wonderful, which means that you are. You're not a mistake or worthless. You were created by God in the image of God, able to love and, and be loved, to know and be known, able to given the ability to create things and to impact others and to do great things and to take care of all that God has made and given you to take care of and to live a life of worshiping Him and glorifying and pleasing Him. God made you this way. He's equipped you this way. Even the parts of us that we may look upon and say, man, I wish that wasn't, or that's a disability, or whatever. You are the way you are for a reason. God made you that way. All this time, what you may see as a flaw may be a gift. What you may see has been an accident or a bad thing in your life may just turn out to be the best thing in the end. David says, all the days ordained for me were written in his book before one even came to be. Back in ancient times, every king had a book. Actually, they had many books written about their accomplishments. They were called annuals and written every year, chronicles. And, and every king, including David, had a paid historian who would live with them and write down the king's activities and accomplishments and victories. And we read in the book of Esther how when the king couldn't sleep, he called one of his servants to come, servants to come in and read him the chronicles. Every king had books written about their works. Well, what David is saying here is that God also has a book. And in his book is David's life and all of ours. 
And it's already written before one day happens. God already knows the story. He already sees tomorrow. He knows what we choose and how we're going to, to handle this situation. And he already has a plan of how he's going to lead and take care and accomplish his purposes in our life. The page is already written before one comes to be. This doesn't mean that we don't have free will or that what we do doesn't matter or that everything is predestined and decided in advance. No, God's sovereignty works alongside our free will. This is more than we are meant to fully understand, but it isn't hard for him. The Bible is clear. We got a choice. The Bible is also clear that God is in control. So the path he lays before us and the choice we have to take it. It says his eyes saw our unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in his book before one came to be. And I can feel this at times. I see ways that God made me for certain things. At times, I see how perfectly his plan fits together. And I am where I'm supposed to be in this family or this job or this moment is something that God is bringing to pass. Some people call it fate, but I call it God's plan. He's got one. In the womb, even. <laughs> God is knitting us together, and there's more than just biology happening inside of a mother, more than just something an ultrasound can see. God is at work there, too. He has a plan for an unformed Dan Olson, a will for a Carrie Olson, a Matthew Olson, an Ari Olson. God is choosing to make something. He is choosing to make someone as if this world needed them, as if he really wanted them. He made us because he wanted to. He made made us for a reason, our life, a purpose. Everything God makes is on purpose and meaningful, and he has careful attention to details and makes it unique, and there is something sacred, therefore, about every life, something priceless in every life because God made it and was creating very intently inside of your mother. He knows you. Nothing is hidden. So Psalm 139 is telling us God is all-knowing. But this scripture also is saying God is all-present. David doesn't just mention that God sees him but is near him. It says in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And then David mentions a few things like if I go to the heavens, you're there. But even if I make my bed in the depths, he says, you're there too. David is saying, I would expect to find you in the heavens, but I didn't think that you would be with me in the hellish places I have gone to in this earth. The dark times when everybody else abandoned me, you were right there. In those places of despair or depression or loneliness or even sinful places, even there, you drew me back to you. You were with me. He says, even if I rise on the wings of the dawn or settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your, your right hand is holding me fast. I think of Jonah who tried to run away from God when God called him to Nineveh. And even though he was thrown into the sea, God was there. He sent a whale and Jonah was surprised to find God still with him. Or I think of Job who fell into deep suffering and thought but, but found God in those places of pain. Or Elijah or Moses or Abraham who moved many different places and around many different people. But God kept showing up. God is a with us God. 
I have lived many different places, and God has been with me in every one of them. I have lived years where I was pursuing God and other times when I was rarely thinking of him. I have done good things and I have wandered, but God has never left me. Always right there when I call out to him. Always working on my life. Always calling me back. Always growing me or working through me in the ways that I didn't predict. And this gives me great comfort because I know that just as the Lord has been with me all of these years and seasons, he will be with my kids. Oh, my God is also my kids' God. The same one. And so I know that he will watch over them wherever this life takes them. Jesus told his disciples, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. And so in this psalm, David is first saying, God is all-knowing. And then he is saying, God is all-present with each of us. But I also think David is saying in this psalm that God is all-powerful as well. I say this because David prays here, search me, God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me. In life everlasting. God knows you. He is present in your life. But he also wants to be active in your life. And David is inviting God to work in him. To help him. He is inviting God to search him. And examine him. To dig down deep inside of him. To what he cannot see in himself. And to lead him to where he needs to be. If anybody knows who he is or what he is supposed to be doing, it is God. And no one can help him become that person like God can. I have preached a few times lately about identity and how I think this is one of the biggest questions and challenges of our day. Who am I? Where do I come from? And for what reason do I live? People are trying to find their identity in many things these days, in this world and what this world says or what they feel or what other people think or which group they fit into or what cause they're behind. But I believe there is only one who truly knows who we are. He is the one who made you and he is closer than you think. And, and the closer we get to God and focused on God, the more we come to see the truth of ourselves. I love the way Paul puts it at the end of the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When you see the Lord and experience God, all the other shallow stuff and false teachings and thoughts that you had about things, they fade away in the truth. Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Similarly, we who see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, one day we will see face to face. Now we know just in part, he says, but one day we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. And it's that final sentence that really speaks to me. One day we shall know fully, even as right now we are fully known. Paul is saying, I may not know everything about me or this world yet, but in God I am fully known, and that is who I'm going to turn to for the answers, to show me the way. We all know in part, but God really knows fully, and he asks us to trust him, to follow his word, and to learn from him. Colossians 1 says we were made by him and for him, and so the closer we walk with the Lord, the more we come to see and understand who we really are and what we were made for. We were made in his image for his purpose. And so I believe if you remove God 
from the quest of self-discovery, you create a generation of lost people, lost children, lost world. We become like the woman on the plane, disoriented, confused, anxious, not knowing who we are or where we're going, building our life upon lies, purposes that are empty, and things that make no sense. Just like the woman who for some reason thought it was a good idea to put her cup with ice in her purse and to take off her shoes and to shove them into her chair. For some reason this made sense to her, but she was confused. So too a world is confused. Without God we act weird. And we believe weird. And we stumble around in the darkness. As Christians we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and have compassion with a world doing weird things because they don't know him. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're children who don't know their father yet. And we all do a lot of lost things when we're lost. But when he makes himself known to us, when we humbly see the truth of Christ and come to believe in him and read his word and hear and truly see, it's like scales fall off our eyes and we get to see who we are and who he is and what his will is. And we come to see ourselves in this plan. We come to see our own sin and we, we come to see the gifts that God has given us. And the more he then works in us to grow us in his love and as Jesus is our example, we begin to experience his spirit and his power changing us from the inside out. And affecting a world around us. Christ is like the husband who shows up on the plane for the woman. In him, we realize we're not lost anymore. There's a peace. He knows us. He loves us. And he shows us what to do. If you really want to know who you are, seek out the one who made you and knows you. He alone has the power to give you peace and to fulfill God's purposes for your life. This is why David begins and ends with Psalm 139. With the words, search me, O God. And that Hebrew word for search that he uses is, is a word used to normally describe digging. Digging deep into a mine for treasure or exploring a land like the Israelites did in Canaan or investigating a legal case to find clues. That's what that word search means. It's a digging deep into something. It's inviting God to dig deep into his heart, soul, mind, and life and tell him what he needs to do. And again, the awesome thing about this is we don't have to fear what God finds because God already knows. And Christ has not come to condemn us, but to save us. He's paid it all and nothing can separate us from his love. So we invite him to search us, know us, and to help us get back to what is good and where we need to be. What would God find, I ask you, if he searched your heart today? If he searched your mind? What things have you lost maybe over the years you know, that he would love to stir in you again. You know, what sin would he find in you that would need to be dealt with? What do you still carry on, carry on with that, that maybe you should let go of, like horrible regrets, or bad addictions, doubts, or fears, that he would say, it's time to let that go. What's inside of you? The Lord knows it. We can trust God to dig deep down into our life below the surface, and whatever he tells us is right and good and best and in love. You know, when God searches us, it's kind of like a doctor searching for cancer deep within. His goal is not to rub our face in it, but to help us, to heal us, to get the cancer out so that we can experience life. And some stuff that we have in our life is just destroying it. Some lies we're believing, some fears that we're holding on and holding us back. And so the prayer is, search me, O God. Test me, tell, teach me. 
John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. God has the answer that we need. You know, David trusts God and God's love for him, and that's why he's able to pray. Search me. Tell me, Lord. What do you see? What anxious thoughts are there? What offensive ways? Lead me. There's an ancient Christian discipline called the prayer of examine, and, and I just came across it just, uh, this past week. And the prayer of examine was really came about about 1,700 years ago with all these Christian monks who were living in the desert just outside of Jerusalem. They would pray this prayer, and Christian communities since have picked it up, and especially a guy named Ignatius 400 years ago um, got it going again. But the prayer of examine is a, a way of praying very similar to Psalm 139. It's letting God examine our life and speak to us. It's time spent with God where he's examining our life, and we're, we're trying to hear what he has to say. And so the prayer of examine is really five steps you walk through quietly by yourself, and you can do this at the end of the day. The first part of the prayer, first step, is just thinking back on your day. Thinking back to everything that happened from you're getting up, you're getting ready, you're going to work, the conversations you maybe had throughout your day, the things you did. It's reflecting back on your day. You know, most people never do this. They never stop and think deeply about their life. But if you're searching and examining your life and praying for that, you, you do. And so if you really want to know you, you, you pray, you think back about your day. At the same time, you're looking for where God is at work in your day. How was God with you when you woke up? How did he lead you? How did he help you today, provide for you? It's really thinking about our day and how God was present in it, about what happened. The second part of the prayer, though, is gratitude. After thinking about what happened today, the next step is thanking God for the things of this day. Again, most people live so fast, we never appreciate what is. We're often just stressed thinking about the next thing or what didn't go well or what we wished was different, and we, we miss all the great things of this day that God gave us. Time with family, conversation with friends, a thing you learned from Scripture, a beautiful you know, sunrise, safety on the drive, food that tasted great, forgiveness, a job that you enjoy that pays. Look and see how God is good and faithful and and how uh, the things about this day, choose to be thankful for them. That's step two, part of the prayer. The third part of the prayer of examine is what they call consolation or desolation. Consolation means, when did I feel most alive today? You know, when did I, I feel most peace or joy and, and close to God? Desolation means, when did I feel far away from God today? Or sad or angry, just recognizing that. Again, it's knowing yourself. Maybe the low moment in your day was when you lost your temper and acted childish in front of your wife or impatient in front of your kids or at work or, or the impure thoughts you had or, or didn't do the thing that you knew you should be doing. You know, it's thinking back on the good and the bad things you may have done, the life-giving and the life-draining things, just noticing them. And then the fourth part of the prayer is just picking one of the things that God has showed you in the desolation part and praying about that. Maybe one thing that stands out, like a moment when you were sad today. Why? Maybe you were grieving about something. Or maybe it was an argument you had with your wife. What, what was that argument really all about? What was really going on there? It's just picking one thing and praying about that. And what would God say about that? What could you have done differently? Where, where are you maybe still hurting and not wanting to admit it? Where, why have you been so mad maybe lately? Where do you feel 
a loss of control. Pray about that one thing, whatever that is of that day. Ask God for help or healing or forgiveness. God will start to search you, you see, and help you know better yourself and him. Let God show you what's really in your heart. And then fifth and the last part of the prayer of examine is then looking towards tomorrow. Looking with hope because tomorrow is a new day. And God has something already in mind for tomorrow. So it's looking toward tomorrow and beginning to prepare and to pray about it. Lord, what do you have for me tomorrow? Is there something you have for me to do? What's on my schedule for tomorrow? You know, is it is something that I realize is going to be tough and I'm already going to ask you to help me with that thing that's coming up. God, help me to follow you tomorrow. It's preparing our heart to walk with God tomorrow. You see, and so this prayer of examine, these same five steps you can do every night with God to become more aware of his presence and voice in your life. And you begin to learn what's truly in your heart and, and all that you have to be thankful for and areas you may just need to grow in as well. This can be how we practice Psalm 139. No one knows you like the Lord. He has made you and ordained your days. No one loves you like him. He's been with you literally beside you every day of your life. And he went to the cross for you. He cares about your life and future. If you want to know who you really are, get to know him. Because he knows. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all Bethlehem Covenant Church's ministries and events, head to bccwaverly.org.